Welcome to the Five More Minutes podcast. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Five More Minute podcast. It has been a minute. Last time we had our podcast was like the very beginning, like probably almost a year ago. It was a long time ago. And we were all kind of like shutting down. And now we've had a summer and we've had a fall. And now we are coming up with a year of being in this pandemic and just being like, it's just, it's mind blowing. It is mind blowing what has happened since last time we've been together. But I'm excited to introduce you to a new project because around Christmas time, Um, I was in contact with a great organization in Washington, the Association of Washington School Principals, who were like, hey, Shelly, you want to do a project with us? And so we coordinated, and they were just like, why don't you, like, get your podcast going again? And I'm just like, oh, I don't know, because I can't see people. And usually when I do my podcast and recording, I'm, like, with someone. And uh, so I was just like, how can I do this virtually? So I just call up cousin Paul, as you know, who's the brains behind this operation. And he's just like, Shelly, just do Zoom. So I'm like, well, okay, then I'm going to do Zoom. So today we are playing around with some Zoom. And we are going to get this podcast up and running again because it's so fun. And I got this like great mic. So I got to use it. So let me tell you a little bit about this project. So um, this is a project with the whole state of Washington, very, very much connected to the work that we're doing, um, well, everywhere, right? But especially in British Columbia. And it's also connected to my research because the other thing that's been happening this year is, um, I'm writing that dissertation, the never ending dissertation. But part of my research was I had to do literature review And the literature review was connected to um, like what's kind of the infrastructure, like what does inclusion need? And so this series that I'm doing with Washington's, um, the Association of Washington School Principals, AWSP, is to walk school teams through the process of, you know, setting up or building on the infrastructure of inclusion within each of their contexts. And so they sent it out, AWSP sent it out to their to the state and was just like, hey, so we have this opportunity to work with Shelly Moore. Um, Let us know if you're interested. And the demand was just overwhelming. And what I like, first of all, is that it was invitation, right? No one's forced to be there. And so it also really aligns with kind of like that inquiry model of, you know, this isn't about forcing people. This is about creating opportunities for people. And so there's 20 teams, you guys, 20 teams. Um, each team, it's, it's kind of like geared toward leaders, right? And so it's 20 teams and each team has about five people on it. And it's um, a mix of, oh my goodness, administrators, teachers. Um, they have um, school psychologists and consultants and just a whole bunch of um, some really important stakeholders in the, the systemic structures of education. And they represent school districts all across Washington. But it's also very, very much connected to the work that everybody's doing. And so I was just like, hey, what if we make this a podcast and actually like talk to the teams that are going through this process? Because, you know, the more that I work with all the different groups that I work with, the more that I'm just like, oh my goodness, like what one what one team is negotiating is probably what 10 other teams are negotiating. And so we're like, you know what, this is universal design. So I'm very, very, very excited. Um, so this is the first of a five-part series, which will take us to June. Um, we are aligning this podcast with the five more minutes that have also been re-rebooted 
I had to, you guys, I couldn't fly to New Jersey because of COVID, which is where I do my filming. So I filmed it in my living room. Like my skills are, I'm, I'm a little impressed with myself because I didn't think I could ever do that. So Paul has been working with me virtually um, producing. So the first video was released, Feb released February 1st and it was all about presuming competence. And so after that session, um, I had, I worked with the cohort groups in Washington. And so then for the podcast, um, I have two guests here for you today. The first guest is actually someone from one of the cohort groups. And so of the 20 teams, I asked the 20 teams, does anyone want to be a part of my podcast and just kind of share what you're learning and share your process for other people to learn from. And so the team that is joining us today is team four. And everyone, all the teams came up with little like names for their team. So team four is called the Inclusion Warriors. And I have Mabel joining us, who is a school psychologist. And she's going to talk about her team and kind of the processes that they're, that they're going through. Um, I can't wait for you to meet her. And then the other um, guest that I have is someone who's not a part of the school teams, but is someone who I have learned from in terms of the topic, which is presuming competence. And so I have Joanne Picard with us um, today, who is just um, a, a very dear friend and someone who I've learned a lot from, who is a self-advocate. And she's going to tell us about what presuming competence means to her. Um, and then we can kind of connect them together and look at it this also from, you know, not just the Washington context, but just, you know, the inclu inclusive context of the connections between inclusion and presuming competence, which is kind of like the first barrier that we often encounter when we start to try and shift towards more inclusive practices, which is the belief, like, do we believe that inclusion is possible? Do we believe that kids can learn? Do we, do we believe that we can learn um, as a system? And so I'm really excited to share with you these two guests, Mabel and Joe. And uh, yeah, so we're, we're going to jump into those interviews and then um, I'll meet you on the other side and we can kind of debrief what we learned. I already know one thing I learned because I've already heard the interviews, but you're going to really like it. So friends, I will see you. I'll see you in a bit. I hope you enjoy um, our chats with Mabel and Joe. Minutes, it's just it's awesome. So thank you. Thank oh my you. goodness, you're, you're near me, right? You are in uh, Vancouver. Vancouver, yeah, I'm very close to you. <laughs> yeah, Mabel, thank are. you. I know that it's a holiday, so thank you for joining me today. Uh, your time is precious, so I am an honor to be with you. So for me today, it's it's a cold, rainy day. We're full of snow and it's raining, like most of the time in Forks. So what better way to just spend it with you? So that's perfect. You're so good. Well, should we just get jump right in? Sure. Um, do I don't even know. So I my principal is hilarious, Mr. Househauser, Matt. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, Matt. What am I supposed to do? I don't even know. Before the, I don't know if you're recorded. Yes, you are recorded. Okay. So what am I supposed to say? Tell no, me. No, I'm gonna this make this. About. I'm gonna make this so easy for you. Oh. Oh, All hold right. on, hold on. I'm gonna make this so easy for you. Uh, you just be yourself, Mabel. Oh gosh, that might be painful, and not always. Well, okay. No, you're gonna be just. 
So you want to hear something funny? The first time I hear I heard yeah. you in our first training. Yeah. Uh, because I'm like you. I'm the one that will fight for it. I'm an advocate, obviously, as a brown woman, as a minority. Yeah. Um, I want to see my students uh, see me. They project themselves. They see themselves. And I want to give hope as a counselor. I'm also a therapist. So when I heard you saying, I got in the microphone and I said, we're coming out. You yes. stop me. And then when you talked about going into a self-help and talking about the first page, you are the problem. I start laughing so hard because, oh. because that's me. I'm always the problem. No, I, the that was such a significant learning. No, I know it's because that book, how to deal with difficult people you're talking about. Yeah. Totally. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I was laughing myself. Oh, Mabel, that was such an important learning. <laughs> yes, 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 because sometimes when you feel that you're the one that's trying to make change, and and I always call myself good trouble. You know, I always, <laughs> I always called, uh, you know, t-shirt with that, Mabel. Yes. So. Oh, I love that. For inspiring me on that. Oh, thank you. you. Good trouble. Well, I am so glad that you're joining me today. Uh, thank you so much because I know that it was kind of like, I, I was, I realized last week, I'm like, oh my goodness, I got to talk to Mabel. Like it, the podcast is coming up. So thank you. And I know that it's a holiday. So thank you for meeting with me today. And uh, yeah, no, this is so good. So Mabel, you are part of um, a, um, a cohort that I'm working with in Washington. Yes. Which yes. is like British Columbia's neighbor, right? Yes. So, yes. Mabel, what's yes. your what's your role in your in, with your group? So, I work as um, the lead counsel for Quilio Valley School District, which is in Forks. We are the west of Washington. That's the best. We are okay. in a beautiful rainforest, and I am lucky to be surrounded by a working with lots of nation tribes. So we have the Quileute Nation, the Ho Nation, the Macaw Nation, and the Quits Nation. So we provide services and education to all of them. Besides a very mixed group of, um, I would say, combination of different races, we have a big, large migrant program, which I'm very happy to support. Um, they speak Spanish and many other di dialects, um, and of course, our community in Forks. But I am also the elementary school counselor with, okay. with Matt, which is my principal. So yeah. I do coordinate a lot of the mental health support, the crisis support. Uh, since my background, I'm a clinical psychologist and a licensed med medical provider for the state of Washington. So I, I kind of cover both. So I am the school counselor. So I do my roles as a school counselor. But anytime the district or my school uh, needs support, I'm also that. And uh, we're bringing MTSS to Forks into awesome. uh, the Quilly Valley School District and with the elementary we started a pilot program so that that is what like we're so excited to oh, be able so to cool. do universal screening and just mm -hmm. to make uh, our community and our staff understand the importance of mental health mm -hmm. that our students don't learn if they're not well or students cannot learn the basic needs if we don't recognize and identify those needs. So uh, we also are doing mental health screenings, not just for the students, but also providing support to our staff, making sure that, you know, we are the only school in the peninsula that is K to 12 in person. Mm -hmm. 
So just in my building, I have over almost 400 students wow. plus 80 plus staff. So yeah, when yeah. you think about it, um, my staff is doing it. So I give all credit to the staff, the support yeah, of the yeah. superintendent. That's Everyone cool. is doing it. And it's so cute to see those little ones, you know, with their <laughs> masks and keeping their distance. Oh, and right now, like COVID is just a whole it's a whole new context that we have to navigate, you know? Yes. Yes. So, 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 you, that, so I'm excited about that. I know. So Mabel, you and um, your principal, Matt, Yes. you yes. two are a part of this series. So this series yes. is an ongoing series that yes. we're doing with districts all across Washington State. It's so cool. And yeah. it really focuses on kind of like that infrastructure of how, what do we need to get put into place? And what's cool about all the groups that we're working with is there's already so much that's happening. And you already mentioned a few. Yes. But my one of my first questions is like, you know, like what's like if you think about your context specifically, like what what's already happening? Like what, what inclusive features are already happening in your context? Absolutely. So myself understanding that when we talk about inclusion, it's not just education and opportunities, but it's also the opening of culture. So for me, culture is very important, Shelley, because I think um, trying to, for the students see themselves. So I, as bilingual counselor, I make sure that my announcements are bilingual. Mm -hmm. I say it in English and automatically say in Spanish. I say the quote in English, I say it in Spanish. I have signs all over uh, the buildings, you know, so I want to make sure my students see themselves when they see those signs in their language. And now we're adding also a lot of the Quileute uh, language as well. So I would we're trying to be inclusive, not just in practices, but also in our actions. Um, what else are we doing? Um, we're trying to incorporate all the different groups. Uh, so obviously, when we talk about um, social, emotional and doing those screenings, we are trying to identify more students that might need more services and not necessarily automatically go for testing or put them into an, you know, an inclusive room that that has been always been the path that, well, let's do a diagnosis, let's put them in IEP and there you go, you're going to be stuck in a room. What we're trying to bring these children out of the rooms, we're trying to provide more curriculum, more opportunities and to have access to the general ed, which is should be everywhere as much as possible. So well, and that's something I really appreciate with these groups is that like every group is in a different place. Do you know what I mean? But everyone has committed to moving forward, which yes. I totally, totally, totally love. And so oh, it's just so exciting to see on such a, you know, like a systemic scale for like a whole yes. state to say, okay. But the other thing that I really appreciate is that it's not like we're setting it up in a way that's not, we're not telling people what to do, but it's just like, what what from each of your situated contexts makes sense for you to move forward. And as I'm talking to all the groups, you realize that, yeah, there's already things in place, right. but like, kind of like, well, what's next? What's next, right? Right, right, But right. also making that connection that this isn't just about ability and disability, but about all of the things that make us unique. Absolutely. So yeah, when we think, because when you think about it, inclusion has, it's not any word. And it's a word that has been in, you know, in education and psychology and special education for a long time. But when we think about inclusion, it's more about including everything not just education, not just disabilities, but also culture. And, you know, mm -hmm. I was in a training last week from OSPI and um, as a counselor being the last two weeks ago was the, the national uh, council week. And it was for us to be those pushers to say that for us to bring inclusivity, 
we had to break so many systems. Mm -hmm. Well, the system's not designed to be very inclusive. It is not. (laughs) Quite the opposite, actually. Yes, yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I'm going to separate you because you speak different, because you look Mm -hmm. different, because you act different. And trying to make understand the whole concept of a a whole child. Mm -hmm. And a whole child has everything. Mm-hmm. And it should be included on everything. Absolutely, in every way. No, I love that. And it's, you know, and because there's been some pushback with the word inclusion, because yes. the assumption is, well, if you include, it means you have to exclude. And I'm just like, you know what I mean? And so it's just yes. kind of just like, well, wait a second, what what does this actually mean? And I love what you say, Mabel, like, this is more than just, you know, disability. It's also just more than education. Like, this is like, yes. how do we educate a whole person yes. in all yes. of their diversity? Yes. Yeah, I love that. And, and I think that's part of the push that, um, that I'm bringing, um, which for me, mental health is like my flag, is my bandera. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's to understand that we need to include the emotional part of a child, the behavior child of a child, because a child might not learn for many, many other reasons. And sometimes we just to consider the emotional part, the behavior part, and also systemic. I'm very systemic, Shelly. So I also, I also include family and culture. Yes, yes. Because myself coming from a minority community, um, from Hispanic community with my actions bring proud mm-hmm. and, and glory, but also shame to my family, to my community. So we have to think that individuals are not just one, they belong to something bigger. And yeah. so we have inclusion means that there is something. Community, yes, we, be- we yes. just belong together. There's no other option. That's right. That's right. totally, totally. So Mabel, my question is, is, you know, cause you're, you're my team four, which you named yourself the inclusion warriors, which I think is fantastic. Everyone had a little name. Um, but my question is, so part of what we worked through, cause our, we basically have a session a month and our last session, uh, we looked up presuming, we were looking at presuming competence. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, um, you know, after that session was finished, like what were some takeaways for you and your team around presuming competence? So it was interesting because I think we had, um, there were four principals and uh, three principals and myself and Matt and I being a team. And they, the other two principals were two also small rural communities because I think that's another factor that we are a rural community. So even though I do believe that human beings and children in general, the needs are more the same than different, regardless what we look like and what we're from, um, there are some specific areas that I think rural communities have more in common, and that is resources, Shelley. The lack of resources, I should say, the lack of enough teachers. Um, you know, when we talk about competency, we're talking about are these professionals competent? Make sure that they feel competent, that they that the knowledge that they have, uh, that the practices that they do. So competency has a lot to do with resources. And a lot of times what I heard a lot of my staff saying is that what we have, the little we have, we have to make it work yeah. because we might not have available. And I think right now, um, you know, not having extra teachers to say, oh, well, you know, I just have an extra plus of this. There is no extra plus, at least right, in right. a small community. Well, and I so, think it's, sorry, sorry, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's okay. So uh, I'm just saying competency for us means that be able to use our resources um, efficiently um, and practically, you know, use the resources we have, which is our staff and provide the, the education that they need. Well, and it brings up an interesting point because like we were looking at presuming competence from a student perspective 
But because this is a leadership community that we're working with, it's also to kind of take a step back and be like, well, wait a second, how do we also presume competence in our staffing? How do we presume, presume competence in our communities and our families? You know, it's not, it's not just the student as well. And so, yeah, like, you know, cause a lot of it is tied to mindset, but yes. we also talked yes. about how like belief in mindset also isn't enough, right? Yes. Like there also has to be resources to say, okay, well, I believe it. Now, how do we actually do it? You know, how do we right. create the space right. for people to be empowered? Absolutely. And I mean, actually our theme for this year, and I started with 2020 when I said the power of yet. I love uh, growth mindset and, and making everything not yet. You know, I might not be able to do this, not yet. You know, so I be put a big board for the staff and I first the first one to put a little sign. I hated doing video and you will never find me doing this live. I mean, I don't have- I look Facebook. at you today. Oh, Shelly, I have done over 20 videos in Spanish and English because, you. because through the pandemic, building competencies, we realized that our communities, the inequity in our communities where internet was as luxury as water mm -hmm. and electricity, no one had it here. And so how do you provide education when you don't have the basic needs such as internet, not just, okay, I'll give you a computer, but what do I do with the computer? I have no internet yeah. access. And so... Uh, my only way to communicate with Matt was to do Zoom live meetings and Facebook. There I was, breaking every boundary that I could possibly make for myself, not yeah. to be public. And so we we built this mindset that I might push myself to do things I don't like it. I, I'm not used to, I don't feel comfortable, but we're doing it because we have to do this for our students. So mm -hmm. that I think that has a lot to do also with competency. Well, it's so interesting because I felt the exact same way. Like before, right at the beginning of the pandemic, people were like, can you do Zoom? I'm like, no, I can't do Zoom. I can, no, are you kidding me? You can't have a community virtually. Like I was a non-believer, but yeah. you know, like we talk about this, like the shifted mindset that happens and yeah. what this pandemic has done is it kind of forced all of us to get comfortable real quickly because it was the yes. one of the only ways. And so I think like, you know, it, it's interesting because yeah, no, like do we even presume competence in ourselves? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, we, because if we, I mean, obviously we want to build competency with our students in our education system, mm -hmm. but first and foremost, I have to begin with my staff. Believe, how yes. I'm shift, how I'm going to shift that. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're going to have to try this. And like, mm -hmm. I, I remember telling my principal, he will laugh when he sees this video. I said, Matt, we're going to have to do this live and soon and open it live to the public. And he looked at me oh my god what if i get roasted what if someone you know someone hacks this and i said matt it might happen but this is the only way so even for myself you know feeling mm -hmm. that i did a lot of videos for united way in spanish and english for um trying to teach resilience and families through the whole yeah. last year and, and and the director told me mabel just film yourself don't even look at the video and forward it to me <laughs> and, and you know what the first one of course I didn't because I had to review it and I found a mistake in every word I said. I was starting, I looked fat, I didn't like my hair. Oh. <laughs> I so totally I, know what you mean though, totally. And so I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And she said, no, you're just gonna film it and send it. And let me tell you, I just did it. And then afterwards I will see them and it, it, it's not about us. I think when we learned that education and in the new era that we're doing this, it's not about us. It's about coming out of ourselves and being able to be available for the ones that need us. And I think That's we so have to be the role models. We yeah, have I to be the role models of being well, a company. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. 
I just think, and, and I mean, like, um, I, I have a colleague up, up here, uh, Jody Carrington, who's a psychologist as well. And she said, there's something that she said once that really stuck with me. It's that, you know, if we, like, if we're doing it, if we're presuming competence in ourselves and the people around yeah. us, like our kids yeah. are watching, yes. you know, our kids are watching. And that is almost one of like, well, I mean, I see, I see it all the time. Like one of the best ways to help peers believe in themselves, like students yes. believe in themselves and each other is yes. by seeing us believe in ourselves because they're watching us right and so from that leadership perspective like what a powerful takeaway to say okay so yes we're gonna presume competence in our students but hold on a second do we believe that we can do this and if you think about like kind of you know inclusion philosophically we talked about this right inclusion philosophically very few people disagree with me like to my face no I don't believe in inclusion right but you realize that that's actually not where the barrier is the barrier is that people don't know how to be inclusive and they don't believe they can. And so this is this does come back to us as adults and educators to say and leaders to say like, no, no, we can do this. Yes. We can do this. Yeah. yeah. We have to be open to believing that it's possible. Yeah. Absolutely. I one of my big role models is Brenda Brown, which I'm sure you have heard her. And I mm-hmm. love her because she's so real. And I think first and foremost, teachers, they are real, counselors, they are real, people, they are real, students learn from those that they feel a love and be present and being present means you are real. And so but Brené always talks about being in the arena and being yes, be I just read that book. Yes, yes, there to lead and, and she always says, don't be telling me from up there. Really? In the so arena. Get in here, get in the arena, get in the mud and do it. And so a lot of the stuff I think our staff is doing an inclusive part of it is trying to see the child where they come from. A lot of the students, when they came back into the school, we had to reteach a lot of things. There was a lot of regression of behaviors, especially in elementary. And, and we expected that. And we, you know, I did a lot of trainings with other agencies trying to explain this from a trauma-informed mindset that a lot of our students, even adults, we come back to the comfortable zone. And sometimes being in the comfortable, comfortable zone means that you regress, regress in learning. There was a huge regression in learning. It was a huge regression um, in emotions. Nonetheless, our behaviors have significantly improved. We have almost zero behavior issues, Shelly. There's very little. One thing that we take away from our group, as you asked me, all the four, um, you know, three uh, principals and myself, is that all of us agree in one thing. There was almost zero behavior issues in the classrooms. Which almost says zero. a lot. That says a yeah. lot about not just the kids, but around but about the community that surrounds the kids. Yeah. Because and, and this is and this is a huge tension in inclusive education is challenging behavior and yeah. looking at well, often sometimes we respond to the behavior rather than being like whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's look at our community. So that says a lot about your community, you know? Yeah. But it would also has a lot of analysis that we realized it was very little uh, transitions. Mm-hmm. And so when you let a child be themselves and, you know, part of the, you know, following the six guidelines of the CDC is that we have to keep cohorts, but these children are playing. They're playing. It's almost like they're playing next to each other or the group but they're not commingling. And so um, we do see that um, sisterhood and brotherhood between themselves uh, and yet able to follow those guidelines. So um, I think a lot has to do with that we have eliminated a lot of transitions, but at the same time, I think teachers have learned that they are taking the students where they are 
And I think that's yeah. a lot to do. And themselves where they're at. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. people have had to be so vulnerable to yeah. teach in these conditions. Yeah. Okay, Mabel, here's my here's another question for you. Is okay. so part of our workshop series is it's inquiry based, right? And so we want each team, we have 20 teams and each team kind of at the end of the session um, has kind of an action statement, right? Like, so what, so my question is from your team, like what was something that your team wanted to commit to in terms of moving forward? What was, what was one of your actions that you wanted to take? Well, that I might not have a full developed action plan. Okay. Um, but I think what we were going to do is that before we go back with you, we were going to meet and I think we're going to do it this week. Okay. So I have to tell you, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. No, totally. And that's fair because we're not meeting again for a few weeks. Totally. Totally. So we, we're going to have to come back to you. We're going to come back to you. <laughs> yes. However, we did, yeah. we did, like I said, we all acknowledge being in rural communities mm -hmm. that we realized that for us to build competency in our students, we needed to see first where our staff was yeah. um, and try to see what resources we have. And I think that's what we were going to come out with mm -hmm. as a group united, how we were going to, you know, eat, because I think some of them were like middle Washington and one was South Washington and mm -hmm. we were right at the border. Right. And yeah. so um, but we, that was the common denominator that we were all a small rural district. Yeah. So we were trying to see how to define competency uh, for students and our staff under that mindset. That's as far as I think I have. And I think I that makes sense because you're right. Like rural communities are a different context than urban communities. And I'm going to be real honest with you. I love rural communities because I know, like I hear what you're saying about resources, but there's also sometimes a benefit because what urban centers have that rural centers don't is the luxury of number and so very very often some of the most inclusive communities in schools are rural communities because they don't have the number to stream or yes. group viability in the same way that urban does and so I know especially in British Columbia like some of the some of the best work I see is in those smaller communities where there is no other place to send kids that's it <laughs> and actually you you're not gonna you're not gonna not include one kid because they you know this is it. You're right. And it's also um, a small communities have a sense of family. Yeah. And, you know, every student and every teacher, every staff, it's is a neighbor, is a family member. So mm -hmm. it's family support. This, as you know, that in resilience, that support system of family support of being a yeah. small, that is one of the strongest uh, assets. Well, and it's brought up a lot of questions around like, you know, how do we create that sense of family and community in larger centers, right? And so like, there's, there's many, many districts that are kind of looking at like, even within an urban setting, how do we create a family of schools? How do we create, you know, family and community, even though we're in a large center? So I think that there's a lot to learn from rural communities, especially from that perspective. So I love yeah. my rural, I love my rural, I, I love rural Mabel. I just moved to a rural community. So I'm just like, me too. You know, right? I came from Florida. I came two years ago. Oh my goodness. Yeah. From a large district, from yeah. Robert County schools, from yeah. the fifth largest districts in the U.S. with every school had two, 3,000 students to a uh, school district of 1,000 students. So you think about it. Mabel, how did you even cope with the weather change? Oh, that God, is that significant. Is that's a whole new podcast. That's a whole. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, yes, that's a home. Oh my goodness, welcome to the Pacific Northwest, my friend. <laughs> well, let me tell you this. Yesterday was a day of sadness for me. It's oh. celebrating my three-year anniversary of my Marjorie Stoneman Douglas massacre in Parkland, which was my yes. community. And so that's what, I, that's what I come from. So it was a change of mindset, yeah. trying to find purpose through grief. So this is where that's, I am. Wow, that's so that told you that that's a big deal. That's a yes. really big deal. Oh, my friend, podcast. Yes, yeah, no kidding. Well, Mabel, thank you so much for joining me today. I've had such a nice time chatting with you. I love you, Shelly. You are amazing. amazing. So, I, I told my principal, I thought I was pushing Shelly, just told me to be more. So, absolutely, to be more. To be more. Be, be more. That's yes, what I always, yeah, no. I love my last name because I can just throw the word more in there whenever I want. <laughs> I just, we just, uh, we are working, um, there is um, Dr. Ranker from OSBI. She works in the Nia Bay area within Macaw mm -hmm. and she is a consultant and she's doing an inclu inclusion training and she uses a lot of your videos. Oh. <laughs> so glad. That's what I they're for. Just I get them out there. Show the videos. <laughs> I know. Absolutely. So thank you for being so inspiring. And thank, thank you. you for being so amazing. I We need more people like you. Well, thank, thank you, Mabel. And thank you for joining me today on this holiday. It's and okay. it's actually it's a holiday. It's 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 family day today in BC. Yeah. Oh. What's the what's what's the holiday for you? It's President's Day. Oh, it's President's Day. That's a big deal in America. <laughs> it is, but you know what? I am here for the students and whatever I need to do. And that's the mindset of my Thank staff you. when I think about competency. Yeah. Everyone has made the decision that whatever the children needs, that's what we're going to do. Ugh. Well, let's, that's a perfect note to end on. Put that in our pocket and take that away. Well, maybe I'll see you in a couple weeks at our next little like session together. And get, tell me again, what is exactly I need to tell my principal? What is our mission statement? That Just your what's your, what is your, your action? Like what's, what, ac what action are you going to take? Action plan. Very what's your action? Plan. What do you, what's one thing you're going to do between last session and next session? Okay. You can exactly. do it. Yes. I think, uh, yes, absolutely. I presume I confidence in you, my friend. Yes, yes <laughs> definitely. For me, that's yes. All the time. You're the best. So, thank you. Shelley. Have a wonderful Most day. Stay warm. I'm trying. <laughs> Bye. Bye. So I'm going to just turn up my volume a little bit. Okay, so let's let's do this. So everybody, I am happy to be joining you with my good friend Joe, who is zooming in from Edmonton. The frozen capital of the world. I have to keep reminding myself this. Um, Joe, um, how long have we known each other? Like, when did I, I was introduced to you, like, what, like three, four years ago? First time I had heard of you, someone tagged me in a YouTube video you had posted about presuming competence. That's right. That happened to me lots anything pertaining to disability on social media people feel the need to send me so i got and was like great that was sarcastic by the way my sexy robot voice. <laughs>
does not always to be honest i was kind of thinking it was another video saying inclusion was great with no lived experience or real action plan then i watched you and thought dang she knows what she's talking about i was also yelling communicating with the dictionary as you were telling the under the table story oh then i stopped you i read your book watched all your videos and had an opportunity to introduce you at the conference i take pride in that you said that was the best introduction you have had <laughs> that's true i'll never forget that day oh my goodness joe i kind of like that you like approached me with skepticism <laughs> oh so good no but i do remember that day and you yeah no and we've kind of kept in touch along the way and it's been so nice to have you just kind of like you know just tagging along because i think that you're doing some incredible work out there which is why i wanted you to join my podcast so okay so I know, so I reached out to Joe, I reached out to you today, Joe, because I was just like, oh man, I need someone to talk about presuming competence, because that's kind of like our topic right now, with the five more minutes videos, which I'm sure you've seen. And you said to me that you had done a presentation for your university class. And so you sent it to me, and I, and I read it, and I was just like, and I kind of changed all the questions that I had for you, because it was so good. And so I guess my first question for you is, like, how did that come to be? Like, how did you get, like, did you approach the instructor? Like, how did you get to be, like, presenting to your class about this? In the fall, Dr. Kathy Harry asked, me if I would speak to her students about presuming competence for a university here in Edmonton. Of course, I replied yes in all caps and lots of exclamation marks. Until then, I had only ever spoken about using a communication device. So I was excited to talk about my lived experience of presuming potential. Mm. And I love when I when you sent me that thing this morning, I noticed that you said presuming potential. And I've never heard that before. And so when I saw that, I was just like, oh, my goodness, I am so excited for you to talk about this. Because coming from your lived experience, it's it, like presuming competence. You're absolutely right. Like it's it, it can be it's so much it's so much more important than that. And so then I asked, I'm like, Joe, can you share with us your presentation, which in it, uh, you're gonna learn a little bit more about Joe because she introduces herself quite perfectly. Um, so Joe, I wanna sit back because I wanna hear this presentation. So whenever you're ready, let her rip. Hello, thank you for having me here today. I am going to do something a little different today. I am going to start by telling you a story. I was FaceTiming into my French 10 honors class. My teacher had just explained our first French assignment of the year, which happened to be a group assignment. We were to pretend we were in a restaurant in Quebec and have a simple conversation with a waiter and order our favorite dish. He started numbering people off into groups. After numbering all my classmates, he told everyone to get started. I immediately mentioned he forgot to give me a number. He then dismissively said, yes, I think it's better if you work on your own. 
confused how the hell I was supposed to deceive by my I explained I would rather be a part of the group. Mm-hmm. He then walked me out into the hall and explained to me he thought because of my disability, I should not work with the other students. Besides, they would not want to work with me anyways. Livid, I started furiously being specifically waiting until he brought the iPad back into the class. I explained I had the right to be a part of the class. I had the right to work with my class members and the right to learn with everyone else. Immediately, voices start and can work with us and work in our group. Joe, do you want to work? I picked the group and got the work. What my teacher did not realize at the time was to have a disability and communicate with the device. French is my first language. My family is francophone and in their house they mainly communicate in French. I am completely bilingual. I was taking this French class for easy credit and to apply to university. Most of the people in my class had known me since elementary school. Many of them knew my ability to communicate in French. They understood what he did not, that just because my body does not cooperate with me, I still have the ability to learn and the right to an education. I have so many of these stories, I could probably talk for an entire semester. I think many. Many, many of us with disabilities would be able to do the same. Mm -hmm. So let's fast forward now and let me tell you a little about myself. My name is Joanne, although people who have known me a long time call me Joe. I am turning 22 this month. I have a seizure alert dog named Papit. You may hear her bark while I am speaking. It is most likely not because something is wrong. During COVID, my dog has decided to change professions. She now alerts me to every dog walking in the neighborhood, every car that drives by and every leaf that falls. She is a terrible security dog. If you see a random arm across the screen, that would be my assistant, Erin. She is here to assist me with tech stuff. I am a second year political science student at the University of Alberta. I live in my own condo and my parents and bought the condo across the hall so they could be nice and close. I have a young named Olivia. My sister read this and was offended my dog has a longer introduction than her. So here's a little about Olivia. She is a competitive archer, loves musicals, and has a killer collection of hats. In the winter, I sit ski on the Canadian Association for Disabled Skiers team. I shopping, Starbucks iced tea, and reading. These things to remind you all that just because my body is complicated, I am just a normal one year old. 
-hmm. I am way more than my disability. So since you're in this class, you are probably wondering about my disability. I have a rare genetic disorder. My disability to my parent until I was a toddler. It felt like overnight I developed seizures, lost my ability to talk with my vocal cords, bear weight and control my body the way I wanted to. I have been communicating through AAC since I was three and a half. Over time, my arms started to fail transition to using an eye gaze device when I entered high school. My parents are both teachers and had a strong belief that I would learn the same curriculum as others my age in my community school. As you will hear, this was not always easy. There were some that fought hard for me to be in that segregated classroom learning what they thought were important life skills like cooking and cleaning. Before I go any farther, I thought I would explain that I will be using the term presumed potential instead of presumed competence. I will quote the AAC specialist Kate Ahern as she does an amazing job of explaining that this small wording difference can change the outcome for many students. We say presumed people might give someone an AAC system expect them to magically use it without any real teaching. But when we say presumed potential, we don't give a pass to others. We are saying, like all people, this person has the capacity to learn and grow. They aren't static and they won't magically know how to do things they haven't learned or been taught. Potential puts the onus of teaching and learning on the teachers, mm. therapists, and caregivers instead of expecting the disabled individual to already know things without education. Presumed potential is inclusion in the expert learning we place on all people. Presumed potential means we don't dismiss anyone because we think their diagnosis means they can't learn or because we think they're low functioning. Instead, we believe that just like all children and adults, their brains are plastic and they have boundless potential with the right supports and high expectations. I would like to share with you some of my experiences being a student with a disability. When I was in grade six, I dislocated my hip, and after a long fight, I started learning from, but remained connected to my low. As technology advanced, I went from being emailed the same worksheets as my class to being FaceTimed in. In grade six, was asked to assign one teacher in my school to be my teacher. He assigned the kindergarten teacher. I was in sixth grade. It was humiliating and frustrating. At the home visit, teacher and principal, we were explaining how I communicated. You could tell they did not believe that I actually could use a keyboard and type words out myself. My teacher looked at me and said, Joe, can you spell cat? Uh, did ask other sixth graders to spell cat. 
my anxiety and fear went wild. I eventually explained I couldn't. Of course, her and the principal assumed it was because I was not able to, that I did not have the cognitive ability. Thankfully, my mom and aide asked if it was because I didn't which cat she was referring to. The teacher assigned to me was also named Cat, but spelled with a K. Mm-hmm. I was not sure what spelling she was looking for. The more pressure I feel to answer correctly, the more my body works against me. I know spelled, but at that moment, not execute my hand to type out the words, which one. Mm-hmm. My learning from grade four to grade 12 was directly related to if the people saw called teaching and helping me believed I could learn. I had to prove to many I was worth teaching. I didn't see my non-disabled friends having to prove they were worthy of being in their class. It was just assumed if they were there, they could be taught. If they made a mistake, it was not assumed they were impossible to teach. Instead, the teachers reviewed and taught differently if needed. Mm-hmm. I spent two years in elementary school where one and only math goal, let me re- two years, was to learn my whole number. At the time, I did not have the technology to independently dial the phone did not if a phone thing to my communication device. In fact, at school, my device sat in a box along with my keyboard and computer. At home, my mom worked tirelessly to catch up on what I was not being taught at school. At home, I always had access to my device. I had the right to communicate to this day work with my psychologist on the aftermath of those years. Being told for so many years by some teachers that I was not worth an education, I was not worth the extra work, that I was not smart enough to learn. It sucked. Yeah. In many situations, my friends who helped me when my teachers would not. In gym, my class was playing dodgeball. I love dodgeball, an excuse to throw shit at people, bring it on. <laughs> that day, the eight into the middle of the group and walked away. My best friend, Kate, who was on the opposite team, she yelled, what are you doing just there? And threw a ball at my head. She then ran across the line and helped me throw a ball at someone. She continued jumping back and forth the whole game. When I was in school, it was my friends who would set up the iPad to FaceTime me into class. For a long time, I felt self-conscious of using my accommodations, of having to ask for extra time, having someone read me the question in order to spare my energy to answer. I felt by using my accommodations, I was just proved I was disabled. In what articles you were asked to read this week, it was mentioned 
unfair that useful accommodations were treated as evidence of inadequacy. I had this idea being disabled was not acceptable. In fact, I actually had a teacher say to me once, it would just be so much easier if you could talk. I felt ashamed that I was disabled and needed accommodations. Ed J. Withers said, chances are, disabled or not, you don't grow all of your food. Chances are, you didn't build the car, buy wheelchair, subway, shoes, or bus that transports you. Chances are you didn't construct your home. Chances are you didn't sew your clothing or make the fabric and thread. The difference between that many disabled people have and the needs of not labeled as disabled is that non-disabled people have had their dependencies normalized. I would hate for you to think that my life has only been negative experiences. Although a great deal of my kindergarten, the grade 12 years were spent advocating for my right to be included in education equal to my friends. There were many who listened and fought along beside me. From a junior high English teacher who realized that my reading level was above my grade level and helped me find more challenging work, to my high school teacher who recalled to Darwin. Darwin was the first to suggest I could FaceTime into class when I could not make it in person. And the school said they did not have the to support this. He used his own cell he would plan labs for days I could come into school. He would FaceTime me on his phone, me, his phone, around the room to different groups so I could be a part of group discussions. He knew that I needed extra time to answer questions. He did not just avoid asking me like many other teachers did. Instead, he would start the day with telling each of us what question we would be answering throughout that class. I did not feel singled out. Everyone had time to figure out the answer and felt less stressed about being put on. My history professor this year explained our midterm and final exam will be an essay we have four days to complete. He explained that his not to assess how much we could spare out in three hours, but instead how much we had absorbed through the semester and how we could apply that to his questions. He wanted us to have time to think without the pressure of a clock ticking. He mentioned he started this because he needed accommodations and realized it fit the whole class. I tell you these stories today to remind you that presume is not just some fed or popular saying in the disability world. It's a mindset that greatly affects someone's emotional well-being, their beliefs about themselves, and their ability to live in a world that was not designed for people with disabilities. Thank you. Ah, Joe! It's so good. I read that today. I read that presentation and I was just like, oh, 
The world needs to listen to you. Like you have so much to say. You have so much to say. So like, yeah, shout out to Darwin. Nice. <laughs> and your, was it your, was it your high school English teacher? Yes. 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 See, it's so simple. So simple. Uh, thank you for sharing that Joe. Um, I think that uh, I just, I love hearing your voice of even your, like you say, like your lived experience, it's, it's just valuable. Right. Um, how was, how was like that? Like, what was the response to that? Like from your peers and your instructor, like what, how did, what, what did they say? I think that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. After I presented, it was really interesting. We chatted in breakout rooms about my speech for some of them at seemed and blowing that a student with disabilities be included. Perhaps they had little experience with this in their own childhood. Yeah. Those people were my favorite. It was a total mind shift for them. Mm -hmm. Someone mentioned inclusion is not just for disabled people. Mm -hmm. I wanted to jump through the Zoom screen and fist pump them. I thought, yes, they're getting it. Yeah. That's so true. And that was like, you did that, Joe. Like you did that. Like it's when I, like when I have these conversations with people and you can see their mind change, you can see them actually shift their perspective. Like it's, it's unbelievable. And like, that's what you did. Like, ugh, see, I want to jump through my screen and give you a fist pump. Okay. So the last question, last question, second last question for you is I, You've now made me a believer in saying presuming potential because I just, how you described it is, is so perfect because even within inclusion, we still very much put the onus on the person who's disabled to change. And what I love about what you said is that presuming potential still makes it the, the educational system responsibility to, to educate and to teach. So I love that. So I, you can now count me a presuming potential person. Um, but my question, and you've kind of answered this a little bit, but thinking about that concept now of presuming potential, like how do you see that connecting to the concept of inclusion? Inclusion is active learning, not just a physical place in a class. For some students, it may not be enough to just throw the sheet at them and say, there, included. For me, it certainly was I think some people here presume competence and they think, yeah, you're a smart now, figure out how to do this. I feel presumed potential reminds us with the right supports, we can all learn and be productive members of society. I think it also shifts the mindset that students with disabilities need support instead of the idea that each student has potential we will all learn together. Mm -hmm. It's that we all learn differently and it's a responsibility to make sure each student is actively learning in a way that works for them. Yeah, active, oh, it's so true. I like what you said that, I'm gonna pull that quote out. Inclusion is not just physical placement, it's active learning. And so we do what we need to do so that everyone can actively learn. Ah, so good, okay, advice. Advice, Joe. Here we got, we got, you got thousands of people listening. What is going to be your advice to people in the school system? What do you want to say to them? The advice is it doesn't matter where you are at 
and the journey of learning about inclusion and presuming potential. Keep fighting and keep learning. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love it. Okay, Joe, any questions for me? I just have one question for you. Okay. And Jessica. Oh, have okay. You the baby Joanne. Oh, it's a great. It's such a good name. <laughs> you know, what's so funny. Joe is my. For those of you who don't know, Jessica and I are. Well, Jessica is expecting very, very soon. And my, I have one like my favorite aunt in the whole world is also named Joanne. So you know, I'm not gonna say it's off the table, Joe, because I mean that would be like naming it after you and my favorite aunt at the same time. Like it's perfect. It's perfect. It's a great name. <laughs> Joe, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you so, so much for joining me today. Um, even though it was very last minute. <laughs> and uh, so I really want to thank you for, for, for disrupting your family days to join me on this awesome. podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. This was okay. awesome. Thank no, no. you for having Thank you, Joe. I'm so glad you could join me. Hey, welcome back. So good, right? Oh my goodness. I love talking to people. This is the nice thing about the podcast is that you can like really have like really good conversations. Oh, it's just, I love podcasts. Okay. I kind of missed this. This is good. So let's talk about this. So our first guest, Mabel, <laughs> firecracker. Hey, oh man, I love her. I'm like, you can talk about it. I love it. Um, I'm going to post the video of Mabel and I talking. So if you want to kind of see Mabel, well, and Joe, I'm going to be also posting this on my YouTube channel if you want to uh, watch the conversation. But um, it, it's it's been kind of fun digging into um, inclusion, but also looking at this through, like, I don't want to say American perspective, but, you know, uh, a Washington perspective, which is different than the BC perspective. And it's been, so it's been kind of neat learning about different systems because every time I learn about different systems, I can kind of like, pull it back and, you know, kind of compare it and learn from and draw from, you know, different experiences and perspectives. So I, I'm really enjoying learning from Mabel and all of the teams connected to Washington. Um, some big ideas when talking to Mabel is what I found was really interesting because she's part of a leadership um, cohort is her takeaway about presuming competence is um, looking at competence in staff looking at competence in in ourselves and with staff um which makes sense given her perspective and now i kind of wish because i talked to joe after i talked to mabel and now i want to like go back and talk to mabel and just be like okay but what about presuming potential like what does that say because that just shifts this whole perspective from you know like just presuming someone is competent isn't enough right like we also have to teach people how to do it we have to teach people how to be inclusive in the similar way that joe was saying you have to teach people to communicate you have to teach people to interact with each other and i just it, it, it's it's i'm making so many connections to like positive behavior supports and positive communication and just you can't just say okay go you can't just be like go inclusion go or go communication go like you have to you know presume potential 
but then you still have to teach it. You still have to teach the skills and the the connections between Joe and Mabel, but just from a different perspective, like Joe's a self-advocate and Mabel is in a place where she's creating context for educators to be able to presume potential in students. And I think it's, it's the, it's a very similar conversation, but just at different levels of, of, of infrastructure. So I just, I didn't even anticipate the connections, but look at them. Right. And so listening to Mabel and how she was just saying how, you know, this idea of presuming competence is not, is so much, it's about students, but it's also about our, our teachers and our support staff and our families and our communities and our administrators and looking, being like, A, do we believe that it's possible, but, but B, are we creating opportunities to teach people how to be inclusive? It's just too good. It's just too good. Um, when I asked Mabel about what's already happening in terms of inclusion in their context, I really liked how she connected it to cultural responsivity because, you know, the more, you know, if you've heard my journey of inclusion, like the more that I learn about inclusion, you realize this is like, this isn't just about disability. This is about diversity and identity and understanding that uh, this is about teaching holistically. This is about teaching a person in, in all of who they are, um, whether they're culturally diverse or ability diverse or gender diverse. Like it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's just, it's so much bigger than what um, I originally thought that inclusion was. And, and if you've, and if you've gone to any of my presentations lately, you'll know that it's my understanding of, of, of inclusion is continuing to evolve um, to really almost become this like concept of identity, you know? Anyways, uh, I also really liked that um, Mabel also was really real in terms of, you know, if we connect competence to, if we connect competence to staff, right? And teaching and creating space for staff to have the skills to be inclusive, that also requires resources, right? That requires resources, um, but also it affects the decisions we make for the resources that we do use. And so if you've heard me before, uh, you know that I'm, I'm a huge advocate for resources, but I'm almost a bigger advocate for using resources in more optimal ways because there is, and we talked about this in the five minutes video, but there's a lot of initiatives in the education system, which Mabel talked about, right? Like the system isn't designed to be inclusive. It's quite segregative just in its formation. There's a lot of resources that are being used um, in non-optimal ways that actually like do the opposite of presuming competence and presuming potential. And so it's really becoming aware of, of, of those decisions, especially at leadership levels, just be like, okay, wait a second. A, are these resources being used to presume competence, presume potential, or are these resources being used to further strengthen an already ableist system, right? Like we could go into this for hours. What else did she say? Um, I loved, here's the thing. So I love, because, okay, so in like my world, I, I get very, very sucked into the the student level, right? Like what can we do for students so that students are seen as capable, we see their potential, we see their contribution. And that's where my research is. And that's very much how inclusive education like affected me directly. But what, what I'm really realizing is 
like we can't just do this at a student level. Like we have to do this at a staff level. Like do does our staff feel included? Um, does our, do our families feel included? And Mabel really brought this up. She's like, you know, I'm not just me. Like I'm a part of a community. I'm a part of a family that is celebrates with me that hurts with me, that feels included with me. And so what, what I really took away from that was just this idea that it's just, it's so much more holistic than I think I ever thought it could be. And when I, even when I first started this month making that video around presuming competence, like even already my understanding of it is expanding just by going, like by learning more about it and talking to people like Joe and Mabel and really thinking about like, how does this really just impact who we are as people? And I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful for these conversations and this kind of continuing evolution of, of, how, like it's, it's just fascinating to, to feel like you're learning and to feel yourself evolving. I mean, it's exhausting. I'm going to go have a nap after, but I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just kind of cool. Um, Joe, every time, every time. So it like, okay. So Joe, as you know, so I met her because she introduced me at a conference. Okay. And as you know, she's sassy. I <laughs> love her. And I didn't even realize at the time how critical a person she would be in my life in terms of learning. Like I've learned so much from her and I'm so grateful for her sharing her perspective. And I remember cause I, cause we're Facebook friends. Cause she's like, we don't live in the same place. And so often we will connect that way. And I remember there was this one, so she posts like these essays, right? Like, or like these, kind of like narratives of her experience and every time I read them I'm just like Joe like the world needs to read your words and it's not because it's not because it's shocking it's not because like oh my goodness how could Joe think or say those things like it's not even from that like presuming potential or competence perspective it's like it it's just profound because her insight is so incredible like Every time I read her words, talk to her, um, share conversations with her, I'm just like, she's brilliant. She's brilliant. Not, not even from a disability point of view, but from a human point of view, her experience is so, there's, how do I say this? Like, there's so many people who, who live their life and don't have the privilege to be able to share the insight in a way that's translatable for people who don't understand. And I don't know if that comes, like, I, I don't, and I, I don't want to, I just think of so many people with disabilities who are completely shut out because they happen to communicate in a different way than the status quo. Okay. And what Joe has, what Joe has done is she's become a translator for people who don't speak. No, that didn't come out right. She's become a translator for non-disabled people who don't speak her language. And it's almost like she's creating a bridge for people. And so I just want everyone to hear her words because she is providing a story and a perspective that is so valuable, not because it doesn't exist, but because she's able to translate it in a way that's capturable by people who don't have disabilities. And it's just, 
she's so wise. She's just so wise. And I learned so much from her. And, and I, and I, I'm just so thankful that our paths have crossed and I just want the whole world to hear her because she can change the world and she is changing the world. And I just, uh, Joe, you're making me have emotions. Cause I'm just so thankful. I'm just so thankful for your insight. That's all. So she's in her second year of university and just changing the world and uh, changing people's minds. And I just, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for her. And it also shows like the power of the self-advocate, right? Like, ugh, anyways, I also want to point out to what Joe said around presuming potential, which from her lived experience is a really important thing that A, I want to respond to, but also in really thinking about the insight that that's connected to. So often in inclusive education, um, the onus is still put on the person with the disability to change or to become... Um, it's still very, very much emphasis on normalizing. And so like, even when I was doing my research, there was so much on like the success of inclusion was determined based on um, how little a person with disability disrupts a non-disabled community. And so what I love about presuming potential is that it doesn't put the onus on the person of the disability to change, but it still puts the responsibility of inclusion to be on the adults, the teachers, the support staff, the administrators, the school system to actually be like, we still have a responsibility to teach. We have a responsibility to teach kids with disabilities, kids without disabilities. This isn't just about physically sharing space and being like, boom, go, which is kind of my big learning today. Also with Maybell to say, you can't just stick teachers in a room with different perspectives to say, okay, boom, go inclusion, go. Like this has to be taught. This has to be facilitated. Like not everybody has the lived experience of Joe, but also not everybody has the lived experience of being taught how to plan in diverse ways, how, how to teach the Joes out there, how to teach students with disabilities because, you know, Joe was missed by so many people because people assumed she couldn't. And not only has she shared with us kind of the trauma that she's still negotiating by having experienced that, but also understanding the power that educators have. And when I say educators, like I mean like support staff and administrators, like everyone in this field of education, the power that we have to create the community that kids like Joe need to be able to access learning right? Like she said, like inclusion is not just about sharing space. It's about active learning all the time. And so to look at all the kids in front of us and say, what do we need to do so that kids can be actively learning? Like what else, what else is inclusive other than that statement? What do we have to do so that everyone in front of us is actively learning? And it is so much easier for us as educators to change our practice than it is for kids like Joe to change fundamental parts of who they are. Do you see what I'm saying? If you're listening to this on the podcast, I wish you could see my face right now because I'm just like making all the emoticon faces. Um, there's just so much I'm going to post. Um, if you're listening to this, I'm also going to post this as a video and the video is going to have captions of Joe's presentation. Um, because I know there was a little bit, there was some gaps just because of technology. Um, and just zooming and virtual aspects. So I encourage you, if you listen to Joe, um, present on the podcast i encourage you to also watch the video so you can see joe um because she's so rad but also you can also see her words and which might um 
I don't know, sometimes when I see words, like it, it, it kind of like just like burns in my, my brain, multimodality, right? Multimodality. And so just being able to, to see her words at the same time um, can also um, help, help learning and help thinking, help reflection. Um, so shout out to Joe. Thank you. Thank you once again for sharing your words with me, for teaching me. Um, for teaching those around you and for being a learner, right? Uh, thank you to Mabel for joining me on President's Day and representing Team 4 in the Washington cohort. Um, and I want to do a little shout out for all of those educators and administrators and support staff and parents out there who are standing with, um, with and behind people with disabilities and advocates to make these changes in the system. We're fighting a dynasty of ableism here, people. And uh, the changes will feel small and they're overwhelming. Um, and so hopefully just having conversations like we did today will give us, fill us our, fill up our cup, especially in February to kind of keep going and to challenge a lot of the ableist structures that we're fighting against that aren't gonna go down without a fight, people. So that's why like words, words from Joe and conversations and chats with people like Mabel who are like, I'm in a leadership role and this is the action that we're taking, right? Like these are baby steps, but um, they're gonna they're gonna have big impactful changes in the long run. <sighs> yeah, I just I don't know, I'm kinda I'm kinda left a little speechless because it's just so it's just so good. It's just so good. And I just want everyone to hear hear the experiences of Joe and Mabel and all of the teams who are doing the work, right? They're in the arena, like she says, right? Um we're going to be doing a podcast every month until June um, connected to a big idea topic. And I didn't really say this really at the beginning, but these, the big ideas that we're going to be connecting to between now and June, so February, March, April, May, June, uh, 2021 is connected to uh, kind of bigger, big infrastructural principles or conditions that kind of put, if put into place will change the infrastructure of inclusion to be less ableist. And they're, they're kind of circle, they circulate around or they, they're formed around kind of four, well, five, five big P's. And these are all, were drawn from my literature review for my PhD. And I'm ready. I'm going to tell you what they are. So the first one is presuming competence, which I'm now changing to presuming potential. Um, the second one, which we're going to look at in March is uh, place, the importance of place. And then we're going to talk about peers, right? Peers. We want to be in proximity to and participating in learning with peers. And number four is purpose, right? How can we make inclusion purposeful for students with and without disabilities in the whole community? And number five, my favorite. Well, after, I don't know, maybe after today, it's my second favorite, um, is planning. Plan, make sure all kids are planned for from the start. Like, this isn't about modifying. This isn't about adapting. This is about how do I plan for all kids from the start? That includes the Joes, right? That includes kids who have diverse needs, kids who communicate in different ways, um, kids that, you know, have different needs. Oh, that was the other thing I was going to talk about, Mabel, that I really liked, um, that I wrote down. She said, okay, I'm going to put this quote out there. Are you ready? She said, inclusion is not just educational. We also have to include the be the behavioral and emotional parts of a child. Boom, right? Because that's often a barrier. Like, oh, no, no, you can't be here. You can't behave. Oh, no, 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 you can't be here. You can't talk, right? That's what they said to Joe. Oh, no, 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 you can't be here. You can't regulate. And so I think you know, really kind of challenging, challenging those ideas and understanding what it really means to include. Um, and again, like just continuing pushing our learning, pushing learning, and it hurts and it's hard because not only are we learning, but we're unlearning everything we know, especially in the world of special education. 
<laughs> All right. I'm signing off. I'm signing off. I'm going to go have a nap. All this learning makes my brain tired. So join me again. March. So March 1st, the next five more minute video is coming out. It's going to be about place. And then March 15th, we'll have another podcast and we'll get to talk to another team um, working with us in the Washington cohort. And that by that time, we'll have about six weeks of time. And so hopefully we'll have some cool things that they've tried. It's kind of neat because we're going to be talking to teams along the way. And so uh, we'll get to kind of, you know, see how they're implementing and shifting because um, all of the workshops are kind of situated and, and um, are developed around professional development that's collaborative and inquiry based because we know that's, that's how practice shifts. So I'm excited to share that with all of you. And I'm excited that we're back and I'm excited that um, we're going to start digging into podcasts again because they're just so fun. And we have a little bit more time to dig in than five more minutes. Get it? See what I did there? Okay, friends, I'm going to sign off. Thank you so much for joining today. Um, I will see you. I will see you March 15th for our next podcast and March 1st for our next five more minutes. Okay, friends, happy family day or President's Day. Don't forget the president. Okay, bye, friends. Thank you for listening to the Five More Minutes podcast. You can find the Five More Minutes podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and wherever you find podcasts. See you next time. The Five More Minutes podcast would like to thank OSPI and AWSP for providing the inclusionary grant funding, allowing us to bring continued inclusionary practices and professional learning to all educators.